0: Welcome to Andy Staples on three and our post Nick Saban discussion continues today. We had a really good talk with Jay Crane last night about what was happening at Alabama with the the Nick Saban discount expiring players going in the transfer portal today. We're going to expand it. We're going to broaden it out. We're going to talk about what happens at other programs that have kind of been under the boot of Nick Saban and Alabama that Maybe their world changes a little bit now. So we're going to be talking to Zach Berry of OM Spirit about Ole Miss, which is a team that will enter next season with very high expectations. People probably will expect them to make the, the college football playoff next year as it expands to 12 teams. We're also going to talk to Justin Hokinson of On Three's Auburn Live because nobody had to deal with Nick Saban being great and had to deal with the problems of Nick Saban being great more than the Auburn Tigers, who... You know, if you were just being objective about it, you'd say Auburn's last 17 years have not been bad. But Auburn people would say, but they haven't been as good as our rivals and not even close. And so how does that change things for Auburn and for Hugh Freeze as they enter 2024? It's a really interesting discussion. So we're going to talk to those guys. We're also going to have Joe Tipton, Tipton Edits on to talk college hoops. We're going to talk about a guy Who came out of absolute nowhere, who's starring for Tennessee right now, Dalton Connect. If you haven't watched this dude play, he is a 6'62 guard. He's awesome. And he was at Northern Colorado last year, he was at Juco before that. Nobody knew who this dude was. Like Joe knows everybody, knows all the big college basketball recruits, had never heard of this guy until he entered the transfer portal from Northern Colorado. So we'll talk about him a little bit later in the show. But first, Harbaugh Watch 2024 continues. That's right. Got a little more news regarding Jim Harbaugh's situation, not involving Jim Harbaugh himself interviewing with NFL teams, but one of the NFL teams that Harbaugh interviewed with released a little bit of news. And then there was some news reported about that team that that makes it interesting as well. So we'll start with, the news that was reported about the Los Angeles Chargers, which is one of the two teams that Harbaugh has interviewed with. He's interviewed with the Chargers, and he's interviewed with the Falcons. The Chargers, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, Tom Pellicero from NFL Network, are interviewing Mike Vrabel, former Titans coach, in Los Angeles on Thursday. So that's another very accomplished former NFL head coach like Jim Harbaugh who fits the profile of of maybe what they're looking for. Although Mike Grable has also been connected to the Seahawks and there's talk that he may interview with the Falcons. So that's a potential competitor for that job for Jim Harbaugh. But the other piece of news that, that was very interesting, the chargers announced that they interviewed David Shaw, the former Stanford coach for the job. Now David Shaw, who retired at Stanford last year, I don't think he's in the mix for, for NFL head coaching jobs. In any real way, and I know what what, what you're probably going to say is, "Oh, they're trying to check that Rooney Rule box." It does satisfy the Rooney Rule for them, but it also is somebody that Jim Harbaugh might want to work with if he were named this the, the Chargers head coach. Remember, David Shaw was an assistant for Jim Harbaugh at Stanford. Took over for Jim Harbaugh after he left. They're very close. That could be interesting because David Shaw. You could you could imagine. A multitude of different roles that David Shaw could work in as a sounding board uh, person who could help Jim Harbaugh if he were to move on to the Chargers. That would make a lot of sense. Now, the other team that Harbaugh interviewed with is the Falcons. We don't know anything about them as of yet in terms of decision. We do know that they also interviewed Bill Belichick. So that is a pretty stiff competition for that job. But Harbaugh Watch 2024 continues we're probably going to have to wait until one of these NFL teams makes a decision or all of these NFL teams make their decisions before we know if Harbaugh is coming back at Michigan. I don't know that it's a case of Michigan can't give Harbaugh what he wants. I think Michigan can give Harbaugh what he wants. I think this is, he's letting this NFL process play out and if he can get an NFL job, then he's very well, he very well might, might take it and we'll just have to wait and see what, the NFL teams decide and then what Jim Harbaugh decides. But I think we'll, we'll probably have to wait a little bit longer as the, the chargers continue their process. Now they, they've interviewed a lot of people, so they may be getting close to wrapping this thing up. We'll see you know, maybe Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the lions is, is a guy that everybody wants to interview. They're still playing in the playoffs right now, but we will find out more probably in the next days and week. It's not necessarily an hour-by-hour hour thing. That's It's weird because we're so used to college football coaching searches that are hour-by-hour. Hour. Like when Nick Saban retired, Greg Byrne, the AD at Alabama basically put himself on the clock saying, we'll have a coach in the next 72 hours. And in fact, they had a coach, I think, 48 hours later in Kalen DeBoer. So they go very fast at the college level. And for those of us used to those kind of coaching searches, it's a little weird to watch this protracted NFL process where they interview the guy, they announce that they interviewed the guy, and then they just keep on going and interview some more guys. But we'll see what happens with that one. Going to be fascinating. Also, if you haven't gotten a chance, check out our guy Pete Nakos' story at ON3. He has a great column predicting top transfer portal target destinations. Because as we discussed on Wednesday's show, There's a lot of very interesting guys in the transfer portal now. Uh, Caleb Downs and Caden Proctor, the the two most recent ones coming from Alabama. Uh, Caleb Downs, as you might expect, Pete predicts him to go to Georgia. Caden Proctor, if you know his biography, then you probably have a pretty good idea where Pete is predicting. But I want you to read that story. So click on on On3. Read Pete's story. It is very interesting. Got some other... uh, are very interesting ones like Washington DB, Jamar Muhammad. Could he be moving within his new conference? Remember, Washington's not in the Pac-12 anymore, but could he be moving within his new conference? It's quite possible. Alabama corner, Trey Amos. Alabama tight end, Amari Nyblack, Stanford tight end, Ben Urasek, who's maybe the most coveted tight end prospect in the portal. Pete's got predictions for all of them, so go read that story. We'll talk to Pete probably pretty soon. I would imagine Sunday or Monday we're going to need to check in with Pete, get some notifications because there will be quite a bit of action in the transfer portal as these guys decide what they want to do. What you need to do right now, though, is go to fanduel.com slash staples. Fanduel is the best sports book in America. It is the easiest way to get started, to get some action on some games, and new customers. When you place a $5 bet, win or lose, you get $150 in guaranteed bonus bets. If you're looking for something right now, I'll give you an idea. So Illinois and Michigan tipping off in men's basketball, 8.30 Eastern time on Thursday night. So you're, you're watching this show. You grab your app. You download the FanDuel app. Sign up. Illinois is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And what you're saying, Michigan's not very good at basketball. Illinois is pretty good. Why is Illinois only a a two-and-a-half-point favorite? Because conference basketball games are hard to win on the road. And this was in Ann Arbor. Michigan just snapped a five-game losing streak by beating Ohio State, so this is a little bit tricky. But you throw $5 down on that, you get $150 in guaranteed bonus bets. So go to fanduel.com slash staples and sign up now. All right, it is time to continue our exploration of the college football world post-Nick Saban. Nowhere is it more interesting this offseason, I think, than Ole Miss, because Lane Kiffin, whose career was resurrected by Nick Saban, has put together a really good roster using this new system of transfer Portland NIL. They were really good last year, they won 11 games. Now they're going to go into a season with massive expectations. But Darth Vader's not in Tuscaloosa anymore. They still. They still got to play Kirby Smart in Georgia, though. And they got dismantled by them last year. Can Ole Miss take advantage of this? How much does this change things for the Rebels as they look at being potentially one of the best teams in the SEC this year? We talked to Zach Berry of OM Spirit about all of that. Joined now by Zach Berry of OM Spirit talking Rebels it it's not just the rebels, Zach. I I, I you're a, you're a proxy for a lot of folks who cover different SEC programs because I feel like Ole Miss is a good one to to start with because Nick Saban is gone, the empire has fallen, and now there's a vacuum. So yeah. what does that mean? For the rest of the SEC, like, we're sitting here as 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 we record this, Ole Miss, you know, still very active in the portal. They've done a great job. They're probably going to be a top five, top ten program this offseason, you know, going into the, the 2024 season. They will be expected to make the playoff. Like, how does it change things for Ole Miss that there's no Nick Saban in Alabama?
1: Well, as someone who covers recruiting, I can uh, I can now make the joke to everyone. Well, nobody's getting the Bama bump anymore. Uh, <laughs> ranking, but, um, no, That's I mean not real. It's, by the way, it, no, it's not. Um, yeah, I, I, I've actually looked into it, done the research. It's not real. Um, it, sh- Shannon, Shannon can confirm. Um, yeah, I I think probably the coolest thing about it, just looking back on his career, and I remember. Uh, I've told this story before. I went to a wedding in 2012 that was in Tuscaloosa. Uh, A couple of good friends of ours graduated from Alabama. Um, And just, I told my wife, I said, hey, before we get to the hotel, I want to go over to the stadium. I want to see the statue. Um, And I thought it was so cool. They had the, the kind of stone wall behind each statue with all the years of national championships. And it was right after, I guess, 09 and maybe think 2011, I can't yeah, won 2011
0: so they won also yeah
1: it was the week before alabama won again but i told my sure. wife we, we went and I, I took some took some pictures of the statue and i laughed when we were walking off and i said isn't it cool kind of cool how alabama just left all this room for more <laughs> years to be added um and that was that was kind of the joke was saving for for years was oh alabama's down this year they're missing you know this, this, and this—you know—they they, they got to replace this guy. They got to do, you know, all of this stuff every year. And I, in the back of my mind, I was always like, I'm not really going to count out Nick Saban. Um, yeah, you know, as someone who covers Ole Miss, Ole Miss back-to-back years did it—2014, 2015. I mean, that felt—I mean, that was a euphoric couple years for Ole Miss fans because you know it was like, you know, we did it.
0: Like yeah, right. Beat Alabama, not win the SEC, not win the national title. Yeah, beat like yeah. I was I was the, I was at the 2014 game and then actually went to Oxford the morning after the 2015 game when they got back to wow. talk to Hugh Freeze and the players to do another like SI wanted me to do another Ole Miss cover story because those sold really, really well, by the way. Yeah. Um but but you know it it did and it it did feel like that they had won the national championship at that point
1: for a for a program that had I, I don't have the career record against Alabama in front of me, but it's not good. Um, especially 2015, Ole Miss never wins in Tuscaloosa. I mean, you'd have to go back decades, um, and that 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 struggle and, and getting over the hump, beating Nick Saban, and you know, almost kind of ushering in. Saban's growth as a head coach to know you know I can't just do three yards in a cloud of dust anymore I gotta go find a dynamic quarterback I have to adjust my offense and you know coming full circle Lane Kiffin was kind of there to help bridge Nick Saban into what we now know college football as so um, he did it in so many different ways with so many different styles of offense and defense and. Um, just the the dedication that he showed throughout his career was so cool. I, I thought that was that was just so Saban. Now since yeah. his retirement, the next day seven thirty a.m. he's at the office.
0: <laughs> I know it's it, it's truly amazing, and yeah. it's just it felt like he had his foot on the throat of all these programs for so mm-hmm. long. And and now George is in a different universe now because I think Kirby Smart probably the, the most likely successor in terms of guy kind of on top of the sport, but mm-hmm. everybody else, Ole Miss, LSU, Texas A&M, Auburn, especially Auburn. I mean, think about the, like Gus Malzahn was a good coach. Yeah. He got run off because of Nick Saban.
1: Yeah. I mean, he he's, I would say he's killed some careers, but he has postponed some careers for sure. Um, I mean, I saw the joke on Twitter after Saban announced his retirement and, you know, I, it's kind of funny. I mean, I'm sure everybody laughed at it, but you know, people poking fun at Auburn where it's like the entire reason that you hired Hugh Freeze is now null and void because <laughs> but I, I mean, it was like, well, this guy's beat Saban twice. Let's go get him. Now it doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I don't I don't think it's null and void at all because I think Hugh Freeze actually sets them up pretty well in the new version of the SEC. We'll, and actually, we're going to talk to Justin Hoganson of Auburn Live about that in this very episode. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this because you've, you've been there for the Hugh Freeze portion of Ole Miss, but now yeah. the Lane Kiffin version of Ole Miss is even more consistent and better. And yeah. now, because of the way Lane's used the portal – Ole Miss will enter 2024 as one of the more talented teams in the SEC. And yeah. now there's no Nick Saban in Alabama to hoard a lot of that talent. Does it yeah. feel like things sort of spread out a little more that, that an Ole Miss has more of a chance now? I think it does a little bit.
1: I, I think you're going to see Kirby and, and Georgia kind of flex their muscles a bit with some, uh, I'm just, the connections and recruiting, they they all pretty much recruit the same players. And then Kirby goes and snatches Tavares Robinson. Uh, so there's some ties there, you know, notably with guys like Caleb Downs. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a little more spread out. I, I think it, it is a little more spread out now with NIL. I think that's been one of the cool things to see as recruiting in the landscape changes where – you're seeing more four and five star guys go all over the place and not just the portal, like high school guys. I mean, Dylan Rayola, sure. He had the family ties to Nebraska, but he could have just gone to Georgia and just been the next great guy, Georgia. No, he's going to go to Nebraska. Um, you know, you saw it with Travis Hunter going to Jackson state and then going to Colorado. I mean, that, that guy, that guy never goes to a place like that, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, I do think it's gonna make it a little more fun for the SEC and more fun for the programs to compete nationally and low, you know, locally in the southeast, where normally Nick Saban, you know, that was we talk about the joke about the Bama bump. It was always kind of the running joke for Ole Miss fans. Ole Miss would they'd find a guy, you know, recruiting, they prioritize him. They would, you know, extend an offer, maybe they got a commitment, and then Pretty much the rest of that cycle, it's just almost fans like, okay, Nick Saban, please don't, please don't find this person. Please don't, please don't offer them. Um, yeah. it's happened, it's happened
0: before. Um,
1: oh, I, I, like, I
0: remember when Dan Mullen coached Mississippi State, he told me, like, there, are, we don't tell people about some of the recruits we find because we hope nobody else can find them. Yeah. And what he's talking about I mean, is we don't want Nick Saban to find them. Yeah. They, they did that with Chris Jones. Yeah. I mean, So,
1: yeah, I think that that's probably one of the things that I think a lot of coaches are breathing a sigh of relief is they don't have to worry about, you know, somebody pulling the Bama card on them. Um, And look, Nick Saban earned it. And Alabama, you know, all jokes aside, earned that reputation. I mean, they have a they have a wall in their building of all the jerseys of the first round picks that they've had. So it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, everybody jokes about it, but I mean, it's, it's an earned reputation and an earned, you know, honor to be offered by Alabama. It, it You go into Nick Saban's office and you take the picture in front of the couch with all the rings. I mean, that's, that's a big deal.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this, this Ole Miss team that Lane Kiffin is constructing right now because they do bring so much back. I, it's, yeah. it's interesting to me, you know, they lose Quinchon Judkins, which when when you think about it, like if you follow the NFL, you didn't look at that as like a huge problem because they'd yeah. upgraded on the D-line in the portal. They still had Ulysses Bentley and they could go get more running backs if they needed to. Which yeah, they couldn't go like D-line was was an issue for them. And it feels yeah. like with Walter Nolan. You know that that they that's somebody that they probably couldn't have gotten otherwise.
1: Yeah, adding you always have to you gotta always reload the trenches. I mean, that was the, Nick Saban and, and did. Prin-
0: Prince Liammy Ellen as well from Florida.
1: Yeah, Prince Umami Ellen, Walter Nolan to go along with JJ Pegues, Jared Ivy, TJ Dudley. Um, You know they have a lot of true sophomores that they're excited about, but you had to shore up that pass rush that being effective against the run being able to stone people at the line demand those those double teams to free up other people so but yeah I think that that was probably the biggest thing Kiffin knew he needed to do was to add some elite instant impact players to that defensive front Uh, there were times the story uh, for this season was it was kind of a you know a you know, the term come-to-Jesus moment for Kiffin and Ole Miss when they played Georgia, and it was not close. It was a blowout. It was a disaster, and just Kiffin talking about how physical Georgia was and how Ole Miss was just not physical. They couldn't hold up. They weren't deep enough. I think that that was the biggest thing, and then on the offensive side, you get Jackson Dart back. You get uh, Diego Pounds out of North Carolina starting left tackle that protected Drake May. And then you go get Juice Wells, you bring back Trey Harris, Jordan Watkins, and then you mentioned Judkins. Losing him is big. I mean, just the guy was in the same sentence as Herschel Walker um, for some the first two years in college. I mean, he was outstanding, but Ole Miss goes and, and gets Logan Diggs from LSU. was really good at Notre Dame, had some injuries at LSU, but had a great year. Uh, they almost expects him back kind of after the non-conference slate to start the year. Um, And I think Ole Miss will probably try to go add one more to go along with Ulysses Bentley. So, um, yeah, I mean, the portal, it's been Kiffin's way of bridging that gap between the Tier 1 SEC, the Tier 1 national programs to make not only Ole Miss relevant in in a, you know, dark horse playoff team to where now I think a lot of people are – there is no dark horse anymore. They, They are a legit threat to the college football playoff.
0: No, I think I, I think at this point people would be surprised if they didn't make the top 12 next year. And that's a yeah. strange place for Ole Miss to be in. It's 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 a lot, it's actually yeah. quite a bit of pressure for a program that's not used to that.
1: It's certainly rarefied air. And um, you look at the schedule, that's been a big thing talking about 2024. The schedule sets up nice. You don't have to play Alabama. Save it or not, that's big. Um, you don't play Auburn and you get Basically in my opinion the two toughest games at home you get Georgia at home you get Oklahoma at home. You're on the road at LSU but it's post Jaden Daniels era there what's that going to look like? Um so you think I don't know Andy I mean the floor is what 10 and 2? 9 and 3? I mean
0: uh well that's here's not the thing that. in in the new version of the SEC I I I think floors are lower than people realize even if you're pretty good. Yeah. Because Every every team is, is pretty good. Like every yeah. team is talented when you're in a league with Georgia, Alabama, and I know not everybody's playing everybody, but AM, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, like that, that it is a Tennessee. It's going to yeah. be a bloodbath. Yeah. But I do think the way that, that Ole Miss is constructed, and, and I mentioned the, the defensive lineman out of the portal, getting Juice Wells to combine with Trey Harris. Who they got out of the portal last year? Um, Priestcorn comes back at tight end. Like it feels like they have yeah. a, a group of weapons that. Those are the hard parts. Those are the parts that that you don't yeah. normally have. So, right. I, I think that's why the there's so much hype going into the mm-hmm. season.
1: Yeah, they're they're adding a lot of. It seems like the model has been experienced players, regardless of P five, G five, whatever. Yeah especially defensively Pete Golding and that staff pretty much said, Hey, we, we don't care where you played. You know, Dejan Anthony at Liberty. We don't care. You played a lot of football. Come play here. Um, John Saunders comes back, played a lot at Miami of Ohio, really effective safety for Ole Miss this year. He comes back. Uh, they went and got Zamari Walton from Georgia tech. Um, Deshaun Gaddy from North Texas. Uh, they, they, they're not going to discriminate on well. we need you to be power five experience. We, you know, that's not yeah. going to be a deterrent. They're going to just find if they think that you're a fit and you work well in the scheme, um, then they're going to go after you. I almost lost Tyler Barron this week. He flipped his commitment, his portal commitment to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I talked to a few sources, and they said, hey, we're not going to push. We're not going to press to just add someone just to add someone. They have to be a compliment to Walter Nolan, Prince right. Mommy, Ellen, um, Jared Ivey. So it, it's got to be a fit. So I think that's important for the approach of, you know, the quote free agency era of college football, where, hey, it, it's got to be a locker room fit. It's got to be a scheme fit. So this isn't like a, well, we lost a 6'6, guy. We got to go find another 6'6, 255. Right. No, like it, it's, it, it's got to be a fit.
0: Well, and, and what I like about what they're doing and, and what I think is, is probably the plan here. You mentioned, have you played a lot of football? The the schools that are super recruiters, that are still getting a bunch of five stars, they're the ones that are losing those guys at the bottom of their roster because they're not playing. They're going to other places. You've seen that with Georgia. You've seen that with Alabama. Now, Alabama's a different animal because of the the coaching change. But like you've seen with Georgia, guys who who were very highly recruited, who didn't play, who got in the portal. That means Georgia's backups are probably going to be a lot of freshmen. And like Ole Miss got the healthiest version of Georgia last year and yeah, you saw what happened, but Alabama got a version of Georgia that was more banged up and Mm -hmm. had to play some younger guys or or some less experienced guys. And guess what happened? And when you've got old guys, that's, that's helpful. It is. And
1: that's, that, that was a thing, a theme this year for Ole Miss was Jackson dart, you know, second year in the system. Quin John Judkins, second year in the system. You mentioned Jordan Watkins and Trey Harris, and and the, you know Watkins will be a third year guy next year for Ole Miss, and they guys have just played a lot of football. Where it's not a, hey, you were a five star, but you've only played in two games on special teams. You know, sometimes those guys are great, and sometimes they work out where they go. Um yeah. But Ole Miss is kind of going for the model of we need a proven commodity to add to this equation so that's been the recipe for success so far for Ole Miss and I think that they're going to continue to do that with who they look to add in this uh the the tail end of this portal window and then going into the
0: spring so got the old guys at Ole Miss Zach on dad duty with all the kids out for snow days he's taking care of the young guys this week yeah thank you so much Zach
1: thanks
0: Andy see you Thank you to Zach Berry, who's been snowed in all week. That's across most of the South. People not used to dealing with snow days have been dealing with snow days. And Zach has been a trooper. He's been taking care of the kids all week because they hadn't been able to go to school. And he's been getting his work done with a big, big week for Ole Miss. As usual, stuff is always happening in college football, especially in this era of college football and that era, of course, now. In the SEC is the post Nick Saban era. And where could it possibly change the most? Of course, the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn, Alabama. For years, they've been looking at their rival on just an ungodly heater. Alabama has been so good for so long. And Auburn, which has been very good at times, including winning a national championship while Nick Saban was at Alabama it still wasn't good enough because when it's your rival, it it just hurts more. It hurts to see them succeed like that. So now Hugh Freeze has the opportunity to change the balance of power in that rivalry. We talked to Justin Hokusen of Auburn Live about what he needs to do to do that. We continue our series on life after Nick Saban, and uh, we got to check in on the Auburn Tigers. Justin Hokinson, Auburn Live on Three's Auburn site. Justin, what what is the attitude on the planes these days now that uh that Nick Saban is not in charge of Alabama anymore?
2: Oh man, uh, probably uh, probably a sense of relief, probably long time coming, probably a little bit of Auburn fans thinking uh, I wasn't sure if this day would ever come. You know, probably probably a mixture of that um you know I mean it's uh it's it's been it's been 17 years of of just dominance really from from him and that Bama program and so I think for a while Auburn fans are just wondering when when it would uh when it would end I mean they now Auburn to their credit has has found ways to be competitive and and um had the 2010 season and the 13 season and the 17 season where they uh, made it to Atlanta and won it, won the championship a couple times, and have beaten Nick Saban. So they they found a way to break through a few times, but uh, it was tough. I mean, even yeah. the time they beat Alabama, it was it was close games, and it kind of took everything they had to do it. So probably a little bit of all that, and now trying to figure out, okay, is there this window now that we as an we as a program Auburn do, is there is there now a window now where we can um, you know our door sort of cracked open that we can step into?
0: Well, and and that's the thing with Auburn, like what has happened at Auburn. Since if we let's just say since Nick Saban's been at Alabama from from 07 to 23, I I think most fans, most fan bases would take what Auburn has accomplished, a national title, two SEC titles, three SEC West title. Like they they take that. And and I know it's been up and down the, the way it's gone, but I think most would take it. But I think because with Auburn, like it was their rival that was this good. Like it's it's suddenly made that not good enough. Yeah, I would agree. You're you're comparing yourself every day
2: to the greatest run in the history of college football, which is what Nick Saban just accomplished at Alabama. So every year and year after year, you're comparing yourself to to that. So nothing would match up, you know. Um, like you said, you you, I mean Auburn. Since 2010, I mean, they've been to the national championship game twice and they've been to the championship game in their conference three times. So there's a there's a ton of teams that would that would take that. Absolutely. But when you're comparing it to your rival and the team uh, in, in 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 the state across the state, nothing is going to match up to that. And so you're just sort of you're sort of measured against that. And it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, I think Auburn fans look at the program as w- they expect championships. I mean, Auburn fans—they do. I mean, sometimes it's not even realistic given the the state of the program at different times. But that's what they expect. They want to win the SEC, and they want to win national championships. Period. Um, and so it's it's been interesting trying to say, well, is that how is that a realistic expectation when Nick Saban's doing what he's doing at Alabama in the division, in the conference, right there? And to Auburn fans' credit, I think for the most part they're like, no, we're we're not going to change. We think that's what we should do, and it's probably caused some some issues at times. Um, just in terms of expectations and and from coaches or fans or whatever, but um, that's the expectation. And it always has been, even with Nick Saban there, even when it's been, you're looking at it going, well, that's a real, a real tall mountain to climb.
0: Well, and and now it's year two, if you freeze, it feels like given the changes he's making that he's kind of going back to what he's comfortable with. I, I, you know, it seemed like he he kept some folks that were on the previous staff that uh, he wanted to keep some Auburn guys around that, maybe didn't work out as well. Also, he's going back to calling plays, which it's weird because that you have the, these coaches now who say, well, there's too much other stuff to deal with. I I can't, do." but Hugh freeze has always been better when he's called the plays. So what do you think went into that decision and and how much do you think it changes things going forward? Yeah,
2: it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, I think he's definitely more comfortable calling plays, and he feels like he's good at that. He, he made the comment this year at one point that, you know, he said, he said, at one point, I, I would like to think of myself as, as one of the better play callers in college football. But to his credit, it was it was a moment of honesty. He kind of was like, but I don't know that that's necessarily now, but at one point I thought I was that person. Um, and so he, he he thinks a lot of his ability to, to call plays. And so I think the way the offense sort of unfolded this year, made him go I can't I don't know that I can be on the outside looking into this thing because he he wanted to be involved but there were some terminology issues that sort of caused some hesitancy where Philip Montgomery had inserted his entire offense and terminology and there were times where he was hesitant to get involved because he didn't completely know all of that mm-hmm. terminology and so he's like well if I step in here I could make things more confusing uh, but you could you could see it on his face he was he was struggling with do I get involved? How much do I get involved? Do I let Philip Montgomery do the job? Am I going to make it worse if I get involved? Um, and the other aspect is the recruiting thing. The thing he pointed to a lot was I needed to take a step back and recruit and align our NIL and boosters and get a lay of the land. And I needed to make sure that this first recruiting class was on point. Um, and, if, and, and and that was just a bigger deal to him. I think he made that a priority over calling plays. He thought – one or the other, I could call plays, but I have to get recruiting right. And, and he was a major part of this recruiting class. He was calling prospects and texting. He was he was on the phone with, with, with a lot of these guys as much as any of the other assistant coaches. He made it a massive priority. I think the question I have is, going back to calling plays, I think is smart for you. Like, I, I have no issue with that. But does he feel good enough about the, the, the state of the recruiting apparatus? Because if he thought it was so important that he stayed out of play calling to do that in year one, in one year, is it where he's comfortable at? To now he's like, okay, I can go back and call plays. I think we've, I think everybody's aligned. I think we've done enough. I feel good about the new staff. Derek Nix is a phenomenal recruiter. Yeah. He's a phenomenal recruiter. Wesley McGriff is the staff that, that he brought. Some of those guys from Liberty have done a really good job. Marcus Davis has shown himself to be a good recruiter. So maybe he feels it's in a decent spot. The boosters and everybody are aligned NIL wise. And he feels like, okay, I've got to lay the land. I've got this thing a little bit organized where I think I can call plays and we can do it. Cause now he's like, now we got to win year two. There's no, there's no, um there's no excuses or passes. You know what I mean? Like year one, yeah. you can get away with anything. Year two, you, you lose to New Mexico state and it's not okay. Year one right Not straight, but we'll overlook it you do that in year two and it's uh you know he's getting calls going what's the deal what's the problem there Hugh
0: exactly exactly and you know it, it's interesting the the recruiting piece because so much has changed and I, I wrote about this with with Saban leaving Alabama like Alabama doesn't recruit itself anymore it Kalen DeBoer is going to have to just jump in and recruit the way that Nick Saban did if they would like to have the same kind of rosters but now you've got NIL and everything else and uh I I do think it's, it's interesting because you talked about you know the winning piece of it. Hugh Freeze probably has to do what he has to do to win for recruiting as well, because if you don't win this year, it does nobody's going to want to come right. because then you start the next season on the hot seat. But if you win this year, people see, Oh, this is a, this is a place on the upswing. It's a place transfers would want to come. I mean, and look, they're, they're getting transfers already. They had Antonio kite from, mm-hmm. uh, from Alabama just, just now. And, and, I don't know. If you look at the recruiting class, like the Cam Coleman flip, I thought was, it was a pretty telling one here. You have this guy who's who's right down the road in Phoenix city. He's going to Texas A&M. And then you, you get there and you go get him like that. Feels like a pretty big one. And Auburn hasn't had a dynamic receiver in so long. Yeah. Yeah. I don't
2: know the, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to, remember. they've had, they've had some some okay receivers at times, but think back. To, to receivers that they have signed out of high school that are, you know, in the discussion of best in the country or even in the discussion of best one in the Southeast, it is rare if, if not hasn't happened in the last 20 or so years. I think Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson were monster uh, additions for multiple reasons. One, one was a flip from Alabama, from Mobile. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for people that understand recruiting in the state of Alabama, if you don't, mobile going into mobile if you're auburn and getting a five-star is 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 so unbelievably hard since nick saban arrived Alabama, yeah, you, you, pretty you much could only do that back. when mike shula was there like that yeah. was not something that happened once nick saban showed up it's so hard they got a few trey williams was a linebacker down there that they got they got a few but it was very very tough to flip an alabama commitment for mobile unbelievable and then cam coleman uh, is from Central Phoenix City, which is right down the road from Auburn. And you might think, well, how are you? Not-? Central Phoenix City's turned into a powerhouse and has produced a ton of talent over the last five years. Auburn's got nothing
0: from J- them. Justin Ross was was that Ross
2: score, went, right? yep. Um Nothing. So you you didn't just get two monster receivers. You flip one from Bama. You flip one from A and M. But you get them from two locations that have produced talent lately that they have not gotten from. Uh, and then, of course, you toss in somebody like Joe Phillips, who almost went to Georgia, toss in Demarcus Riddick, who was a flip mm. from Georgia. And there's a there's a few there's a a handful of full of guys that he got signed that you're like that, that that are just telltale signs flip from Bama, flip from Georgia locations that have been tough to recruit to that show you he's up to the he's up to the challenge. I think the interesting thing with Saban in the window is the first thing I look at is in-state recruiting. I Mm -hmm. think the NIL NIL landscape, I think, has changed things a little bit. Like, DeBoer should – when you've got NIL, you should be able to, uh, you know, alleviate some concerns about Southeastern recruiting, let's say, because you've got NIL. Like, that should make up some ground there. But I think in-state recruiting, there's, there's good talent in Alabama every year. That's the first place where Auburn and Hugh Freeze can take advantage of Nick Saban being gone, a new staff going in. They've worked really hard the last year to build relationships. They already made inroads this year. That's the the most immediate thing I see them going. Hey, in state now, if you're Auburn and Hugh Freeze, they are they are going to be right there with Alabama on 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 anybody they want to go after. I'm not saying they're going to dominate the state or whatever, but here for about the next year, while while that new staff at Alabama is getting their feet uh, underneath them, Auburn's got a great chance to to continue a bunch of positive momentum with in state recruiting.
0: Well, and and the thing is. Recruiting the state and the region, you look at who they brought in: Charles Kelly, Derek Nix, guys that have been recruiting in that area basically forever. Um, the the candidates that have been thrown out there for defensive coordinator, if if it's Chris Kiffin who's with the the Texans right now, uh, if he were to come back to college football, DJ Durkin's been in the SEC for a long time. It, it feels like they are they are trying to load up on those guys who understand how to do that
2: no doubt and understand what freeze wants. That's probably his biggest concern right now. And I say concern. The thing he's focused on is okay. Year two, I need my staff to be completely aligned with what I want X's and O's and with what I want internally and culture wise, I need to make sure that my staff top to bottom will promote my culture and and we will have zero issues. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, Cornell Williams out Zach Etheridge out good coaches, Auburn guys, but now that they're gone, the the focus has got to be, okay, replacing them and filling OC and DC, it's I need to make sure top to bottom that I can build the kind of community. That's a huge thing of what Hugh Freeze wants. He's talked about it over and over again about building a community because in this day and age, you got to get these guys to stay. you you got to build something beyond just playing time that will keep these guys on campus and not wanting to enter the portal every chance they get. And Hugh Freeze sees the importance of building that culture and community um, in addition to, hey, building a, building a program that produces NFL talent. So Derek Nix is a guy like that. Chris Kiffin could be a guy like that. Wesley McGriff, is, is, he's super tight with bringing him back, making sure he didn't go to to Texas AM. Those are all hires that he, I think he's going to look at the staff and go, okay, I feel really comfortable with everybody there that's going to promote my culture 100%, no concerns for me. I don't think there's going to be any – lost in translation between me and my players. And that's a massive deal. I think going into year two.
0: Well, and I've talked to coaches about this. Like, like you said, they have, the players have to like being there. If they don't, they're just going to leave. They're going to go, you know, see what they get in the portal. And even in the NIL era, if the money's similar, and I would imagine at Auburn and kind of its peer sec institutions, like the money's going to be pretty similar. So then you just pick, where do you want to be? And that's you're right because I do wonder like with with Philip Montgomery, with Ron Roberts last year, those were guys that had not really worked with you Freeze before. How much was it just not these guys didn't really know each other? Yeah, I think I think with Roberts it, it it turned into a big deal. I think Ron
2: Roberts did a good job with the defense honestly with 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 the pieces and what was there. defensively Alden was pretty good but but personality wise, it, it it turned into a, a something that just wasn't working, and I think more stuff came out after the season in terms of exit interviews. Where the more you got feedback, it was like, okay, this isn't working. This, this is I got to make yeah. a move here. Phillip Montgomery, I think, was a situation where I mean, I, I don't think their relationship was bad. I think that was just a a tricky deal where he is trying to get involved, and you're trying to figure out quarterbacks. And I mean, at one point in the season, look in that old Miss game, you had. Philip Montgomery calling plays for one quarterback and you had Hugh freeze calling plays for another quarterback when they were <laughs> rotating Robbie and Peyton, you had wow. not just two guys calling plays. You had two guys calling plays depending on the quarterback. Like, okay, I got plays for Robbie. You got plays for Peyton. And, and that is just not a way to piece it together. They were just, they were, they kind of got themselves in a situation and were trying to figure it out. So their relationship I think was fine. I think that's just a deal where he's like, okay, I, I need to take back play calling. And so that, that obviously means that, I've got to make a change there. The Roberts thing, I think, was more of a personality issue and they didn't mesh. And recruiting wise, I, not, I didn't hear anything great in terms of their abilities to recruit. Not, not negative necessarily, but I didn't hear any rave reviews about their ability to recruit. You're replacing Philip Montgomery with Derek Nix. Phenomenal from the state of Alabama. And then potentially if you were to do DJ Durkin or Chris Kiffin for Ron Roberts, you're, it's a massive upgrade there as a, as a recruiter as well.
0: So let's talk about the quarterback situation because it felt like going into the bowl game that there was a vote of confidence given to Peyton Thorne. And then it felt like coming out of the bowl game, it was, no, okay, we, we got to figure this out.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, we talked to Hugh Freeze going, starting bowl practice, and he was asked about the portal situation at quarterback. And he absolutely um, said, look, Peyton Thorne's got a ton of ability. He's got a ton of potential. He pointed to, to some games. I mean, and look, some of the stats back that up. I, I don't have them all in front of me, but there's some advanced stats when you dig into the last four or five games of the season where Peyton was pretty good given the limited number of passes he threw. Then, of course, you have New Mexico State that went poorly that was not all Peyton Thorne's fault. That was a, that was just a top-to-bottom failure. And then the bowl game was pretty rough for everybody as well. But, yeah, he gave us support of Peyton Thorne. He gave us support of, of, of Holden Gurner and his potential. And – And in conjunction with that, he was also like the portal. We evaluate these portal quarterbacks, but I told our board from the beginning of the portal season opening, look, I think that they're going to look at quarterbacks, but I do not think he feels like he's desperate for one. If the right one comes along and it's a good situation and he feels like the fit's there and they're not asking for too much NIL money, I think that he'll look at it. But I do not think he is so desperate to take anybody and that's kind of how it's played out. The bowl game changed things. The bowl game was so bad uh, for a lot of reasons, and Peyton wasn't great. And and I did talk to some people afterwards that I think I think Hugh sort of after that game was like, maybe maybe I misevaluated this. Maybe I do need to bring a portal quarterback in. Now I still don't think he's desperate to to get one. I still think Hugh Freeze battles the the whole NIL era. Like he's an old school guy. He'll play the game. But I still think there's a part of him that's like, if you're asking for too much, or if I feel like you're going to come in and feel entitled to the job, I don't want to play that game. So I do think he battles that some, but I do think he's closer to wanting to get a portal quarterback in there now than probably when bowl practice started. It's just does he mm-hmm. do it now or after the spring? I, I, I just I don't see how you can wait till after the spring and you miss a whole spring camp. You, you miss messing, meshing, meshing with Derek Nix. Um, but I don't know what the options are now. But I do think he wants to bring somebody in. But it's got to be a, a right fit, I think, in his eyes.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. There's just not that many guys in there, and the only portals that are open at the moment are places where the coaches just left. So yeah. it's it's a it's a little bit trickier situation. But it it is going to be interesting because it, it it may come down the spring, I and mean, that's when they got Peyton Thorne last year was after spring as well. It, it was, but you know, one of the things that
2: not only Peyton talked about, but even Hugh talked about was, well, wait, you know, he didn't go through spring. Like that was an excuse kind of from Hugh and, and from Peyton. And it's a legitimate one. It's not, it's not like that's a bad, it's a legitimate excuse, but um, it was, you know, they didn't go through spring. They arrive in the summer and, you know, Peyton's trying to pick up a new offense within a matter of weeks. And then fall camp starts, that's a tough situation. I think people forget that about Peyton is, you know, give him another winter and spring and summer, and then fall camp, and and maybe he's at a completely different place in terms of his understanding of the offense and development. Um, but I do think you got to get somebody in there. It's pretty risky to try to bring somebody in after spring, especially when you have a new OC involved and and, and all that. That's if you if you feel like you need an upgrade, if you feel like I need competition there, I need to push that room. And if Peyton wins the job, fine. But I need to push that room. Then you, I would think you got to get somebody in there now, and it's got to go. It's got to happen during spring ball and not wait till the summer
0: yeah it's it's going to be a fascinating situation over the next few weeks because if you're going to take somebody in the portal now that it's got to happen pretty soon yep and uh but but i will say this justin thinking back to two years ago it was two years ago next week that all of the stuff started bubbling up with brian harson and after year one and it does feel like a very different situation after year one of hugh freeze then after year one of Brian Harson, even though the records might not have been that different, even though they had the same kind of narrow loss against Alabama, like it feels like a completely different time now.
2: It does. It's similar. Records were identical. Both had close losses at home to Alabama. You know, Harson even beat Ole Miss that year. Ole Miss yeah. was tenth in the country, and and they beat Ole Miss that year. Now you had Bo Nix. It's a big difference. You had Bo, and who is still really good. And you had Tank Bigsby, of course. The difference really is recruiting. You know, there were some signs on the field. You're like, okay, maybe. Yeah, there were some decent things that happened that first year, Harson. But recruiting-wise, night and day, night and day. In in terms of the, I think that first class for Harson probably finished 16th, 17th. But in the SEC, that is that's down the line. But there was some things that started to started to surface in terms of the effort that Harson was putting towards recruiting. Um, He he just didn't. He didn't view it with the importance that it needed to be viewed at. He thought you could go in with X's and O's, and then I'll go find the right fit, kind of like he did at Boise. I'll go find the guy that kind of fits the program, but we're going to coach him up and scheme him up. And, uh, yeah, you got to coach well, but but if you're going to win a national championship or certainly you're going to compete in the SEC, you better have talent first and foremost. And Hugh Freeze completely understands that. That's the biggest difference between the two if you're trying to figure out year one and year one is – the effort and the intensity towards recruiting and also overall fit. Hugh a he gets the SEC. He gets Auburn. He gets the boosters. He understands all that. Harson didn't. And he rubbed the boosters wrong immediately. It was just a bad fit. Even if even if Brian Harson wanted to go out there and kill it in recruiting, there were still some other hurdles that could have been an issue. So fit wise and
0: recruiting wise, it's it was night and day between those two. And that is why you were covering a defensive coordinator search and not covering a are they going to fire the head coach in, yeah. in february of his, his you know right after his first year so uh justin appreciate it and uh enjoy this uh this time going to be a hopeful offseason at auburn i imagine with uh with nick gone yeah
2: it's gonna be our, our fans are are uh i will say our message board is having some yeah they're having some fun for, for once they're, they're <laughs> yeah I, I talked to a buddy that's that's a big Alabama fan that's a that's a member of the BOL uh our on three Bama site and he's like look for years I just I didn't check the board. I mean we we would land the number one class we'd win twelve games it was cruise control I didn't and now he he can't stop it's just a different animal like they're that's now right. with refresh, everybody else Refresh, they're, refresh yeah they're refreshing they're now with everybody else and our fans are like Sort of relishing it a little bit. Auburn's got to figure out their stuff, their program, and they gotta yep. solidify their program to take advantage of, of the opportunity. But but yeah, you're starting to see a little bit of that going, yeah, welcome to everybody else that's got issues, you know? So
0: ain't, ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much. All right, see ya. Thank you to Justin. I am very, very interested to see what Auburn does over the next few months. Do they get a, a quarterback? in this cycle of the transfer portal. Do they wait until the spring? Do they roll with what they have? I think these are the important things. We're going to see them make a DC hire here pretty soon, but the quarterback situation, I think is the one that will tell us the most about what to expect for next season. Now we need to find out what to expect from this weekend in college basketball. We're going to get you rolling on college basketball. This is the time we start to really dive in. So you know, ESPN had their their Monday night playoff game last week. Well, next week, big Monday, Monday night. Super Tuesday, Tuesday night. It's time to get ready. And who better than Joe Tipton, Tipton Edits, to help us out with that. we are start out by talking about a guy at Tennessee who is maybe the surprise of the entire college basketball season. Here's Joe. All right, it is time to get you ready for a big weekend of college hoops. And none better than Joe Tipton. Tipton edits on Twitter, on threes college basketball expert, college basketball recruiting guru. And Joe, this is this is a guy I'm excited to ask you about because you know everybody in the sport. You covered everybody as a recruit. But did you know 6-1 Dalton Connect out of Colorado going to JUCO like five years ago?
3: No, absolutely not. I didn't even know who he was when he was leaving Northern Colorado, when he was a top portal prospect this off season. when he committed to Tennessee, I was asking people, Hey, you know who this kid is? Hey, he looks like he put up good numbers. You know, he's yeah. grown. You said he was six one. Now he's six, six. All right. He shot, he shot it well from the field. Who is he? And now everyone in the country knows who he is. It's It's crazy. So he had 28 against Mississippi state. 36 against Georgia and
0: 39 the other night against Florida. And Rick Barnes comes into the locker room's like, hey, Dalton got eight rebounds. Let's cla- let's give it up for him. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like they're trying to tamper this thing down because they're wondering how, how big he could get.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has injected new life into Tennessee basketball. This is a team, you know, whose offense kind of struggled in the past couple of years. And then he came in. And Tennessee is really fun to watch on the offensive end again. Obviously, we know their defense—you know, top in the country—but don't connect. I mean, SEC Player of the Year type of performance we've seen.
0: It and and it's so weird because this is not something we see in basketball. Like usually, you're closer to the NBA than high school once you once you're that kind of prospect. But this is a a guy who's he's a six six two guard. He could do a lot of things. He probably is going to be an NBA player, but came out of nowhere.
3: Right, absolutely, absolutely. And he's no 23 years old. Exactly. This is his, what, I think this is his fifth year of yeah. college basketball, if I'm not mistaken. Like I said, I don't think anybody knew who he was in northern Colorado, but it shows you what can happen, you know, thanks to the transfer portal and the big stage playing on a team like Tennessee and the SEC.
0: Yeah, it is It is pretty interesting. And, you know, I, I go back to, like, Anthony Davis's recruitment, and he had – this happened in high school where he grew. He was actually, you know, he was it was kind of a middle-of-the-road guard recruit, and then suddenly he shoots up and becomes a, a top-tier big man recruit. But I don't think I've ever heard of a guy growing like that in college.
3: Yeah, very rare. I mean, you, most of the guys hit the growth spurt, like you said, in high school, but hitting it in college when you're already 18 years old, typically most people are done growing by then. So it's been fantastic to see his rise.
0: And so they've got Alabama this on, on Saturday. Alabama's four and in SEC play. They're coming off the, the win against Missouri. You had the NATO incidents with 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 Aiden shot. Sounds like that's all been kind of smoothed over. The SEC did issue a reprimand for NATO's, but you know, how where is this Alabama team at right now? Because it seems like they're they're pretty hot in
3: SEC play. Yeah, Alabama's on fire. They, you know, lost some, you know, tough games earlier in the season, but they've played one of the toughest schedules over on king palm you can look at strength of schedule and alabama is at one of the top of the charts but you know they lost a lot they lost guys to the portal they lost you know a guy like brandon miller to the nba and they had to bring new guys in and sometimes it takes a little while to get things going but don't let alabama fool you just because they're an unranked team right now in the ap top 25 poll i don't expect that to last for long
0: yeah that's what this is one of those if it was in tuscaloosa i'd be saying all right get on fanduel now and and hit that Alabama money line, but this is in Knoxville. So it's maybe, maybe a little bit different, but it is, it's interesting to see how they have, you know, reloaded and Oates seems like that's, that's what it's going to be every year. He's going to have quite a bit of talent in that program. And even if you lose a person like Brandon Miller, you can,
3: you can still expect a similar kind of season. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, The transfer portal did great things for them. Um, I think players are more inclined to go to Alabama, you know, more than other schools just because of NATO's style of play. You know, it's run and gun fast, um, you know, in NBA style, shooting a lot of threes. So, guys like uh, two years ago, Mark Sears, Alabama is arguably the best player. Mm-hmm. He, he decides to, to transfer to Alabama in this past offseason. A guy like Grant Nelson, who's not what some people expected, but he's still a good player. And then another guy who's Aaron Estrada, who's also having a big year for him.
0: Is that what all the the players want now? Like the because the analytics drove drove it to threes and layups, which is what Nate Oates preaches. Is that what the players want? Because that's what the next level is going to
3: bring. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a place to play on the one of the biggest stages, the SEC, traditionally a football conference, but I mean, not not any longer. I mean, you have to yeah. pay attention in basketball as well, and then also all these guys they want to play professionally, and if you're if you're playing professionally you know, professional style in college, you already got a leg up. So speaking of leagues and stages, you know, we, we
0: spent all this time talking about the big 12 and realignment. And I think it's all, a lot of our conversations have been about football, but what it wound up as is one of the better basketball conferences in the country it was already one of the best ones. Then you add Houston into the mix. You add BYU Cincinnati who have had periods where they've been good in basketball, but it's crazy this year, Joe. We were going over it before the, before we started recording. Where like, okay, so so Iowa State has beaten Houston, but lost to Cincinnati. BYU has beaten UCF and Iowa State, but UCF has beaten Kansas and Texas. Like, it, it's it's nuts.
3: Absolutely. I mean, everyone knew the Big Twelve is a gauntlet of a league. Everybody knows there's no off nights. But you even you even think about a team like BYU coming into the conference, you know, from, you know, the mid-major plus ranks, right? You don't expect them to be a top-25 cal- caliber team. You don't expect UCF to knock off Texas or Kansas. But this is, a, the, you know, the Big 12, eight-ranked teams in the top 25. That's not super uncommon, but the upsets that we've already seen this season um, is going to make it even more fun.
0: Well, and you got, like, Iowa State and TCU this Saturday. It feels like if, if you get – This is a game like TCU. Get when you get this one at home, you got to win this one because you're then going to turn around and go on the road, and it's going to be probably a a, a bigger challenge. And uh, it's it's just it it does put a premium on like when you get a winnable game at home, like you got to win it.
3: Oh yeah, and it's so hard to win on the road. I mean, so hard to win on the road. So I mean, you have to take advantage of every home opportunity and just do what you can to you know fight tooth and nail to get a win.
0: Yeah, the, the Texas UCF thing is crazy because you had the uh, the the horns down from, from the UCF folks after the game, and, or the guys in the in the layup line, which I'm sure Brett Yormark, the new commissioner of the big, the commissioner of the Big Twelve, is like, ha, 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 thank you, we we appreciate that. But uh, is Texas going to be able to handle the SEC if they can't handle little horns down from UCF?
3: I mean, Rodney Terry, he's one of those guys, he will tell you how he feels. Um, he's just an honest guy. I mean, he yeah. was unhappy as he walked through that line. Everyone saw that video of him, you know, saying to the players, you know, you know, that's classless, you know, basically said, you know, don't do that. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. they got to turn things around. I mean, they're struggling this season. Barely knocked off Louisville, obviously, like you said, just lost to UCF. So they got some work to, that needs to be done.
0: Well, and okay, so Ronnie Terry replaced Chris Beard. We all know what happened with Chris Beard that got him fired at Texas. The police report was not pretty. He's now at Ole Miss. He's having a a pretty good first year at Ole Miss, and they're they're playing Bruce Pearl in Auburn this weekend. What what has Chris Beard done to get Ole Miss this good this quickly?
3: Well, first, he got talent. He got yep. guys in the, in the transfer portal. He got lucky on a couple guys, Brandon Murray, Musa say, 2 two-time transfers that weren't playing into, until they they allowed – the NCAA started to allow um, the two-time guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he acquired talent, and he's just a really good coach. There's no denying that. You can say what you want about him off the court, but he wins. He's done it at every place he's ever been. He brought Texas Tech to a Final, final Four. I mean, even Ole Miss—they—they've won 15 games so far this season. We're only in mid-January. Last year, Kermit Davis only won 13 on the entire year. So they've already surpassed um, what they did last year.
0: It's—it is interesting, and you know, Bruce Pearl got to Auburn, revolutionized that program. And you—you mentioned you were talking about the SEC and and just how how rugged it is. It feels like it is even deeper as a basketball. When you look at you know Eric Musselman had been fantastic at arkansas
3: they're having a rough year this year absolutely yeah i think arkansas was kind of a shocker um i didn't anticipate them to lose this many games we we talked about the transfer portal it it did it did wonders for tennessee and dalton connect but then team like arkansas they live and breathe breathe off the transfer portal Mm -hmm. and you know they brought in several talented guys and it's just not paying out for them as much so far
0: so another team where where things have not gone well, and it's a little more because of injury than than transfer portal luck is Gonzaga. So they a hundred forty three week streak of being ranked in the top twenty five. They've been ranked in the top twenty five since two thousand sixteen, and that ended this week. What what has gone wrong for for Mark Few and his team this year?
3: Well, I think it's a lot about what they lost and you know, just their roster turnover. I mean, you lose a guy – you you lose guys like Drew Timmy, Julian Mm -hmm. Strother. Both of them combined for 36 points per game. So you you lose your top two scores. The guys that you bring in, you're like, okay, you know, you bring in Nimhard from Creighton. He isn't as great as um, people kind of expected him to be, struggling behind the three-point line. You know, I don't think it has anything to do with coaching. Um, Mark Few, I mean, 24 straight NCAA appearances. There's no denying that he is a winner. Um, but I think it's just like a lack of talent all around and the guy with the guys that they lost.
0: Yeah. They, they had a couple guys get hurt preseason and it just sort of, it's, it seems to have spiraled. Meanwhile, UConn looks like they're going to rip through everybody again. Oh yeah. That, I, I mean, they, they, they don't look like they've lost a step from, from the tournament last
3: year. Yeah, I was watching them last night play Creighton, and oh, my goodness. I mean, absolutely suffocating on the defensive end. Just the talent that they have. I mean, they have six, seven really, really, really good players, and it would not be a surprise at all if they were to repeat. In fact, I think the Huskies have the best chance out of anyone in college basketball to go back-to-back for the first time since Florida Gators did with Billy Donovan in 06-07, so they are a really talented team.
0: But it's, it's such a different situation now. Like that team that, that you talked about the Florida team, I, I covered those teams as a beat writer. You know, those guys were all recruited out of high school. Uh, it was almost dumb luck that they happened to have the chemistry they had. And then they stay together for another year. Now you can kind of experiment with that. Like you, you can move pieces in and out with the portal every year. And you know, I, the whole get old stale old thing that, that the mid majors used to practice. It's, it's like the, the, the high majors can be old too now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Even think about a guy like Cam Spencer. He's one of UConn's best players. He started his career at uh, Loyola Maryland, I believe it was. Yeah. Played three years there, one year at Rutgers, and then gets to UConn um, via the transfer portal. And you know he's going to be able to contend for a national title. He's one. He's you know on the best team in college basketball. <laughs> it's it's amazing.
0: It's amazing. So you could you can start at Loyola Maryland and then be a key player on a team that's going to be favored to win a national title, or you can be a six Juco card and wind up playing at 6'6 in the sec dropping 39 on the Florida Gators. Like that is it, it, it's a, it's crazy how the sport has changed with the portal because basketball is always a, a transfer heavy sport, even when guys were willing to sit out for a while. But like now that you can do it. And and especially this year where the, they had the, the court ruling and guys who transfer twice could just go play.
3: How much has that accelerated this? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have you already have the one time transfer rule. So anybody you go to college, you don't like you don't like your situation. All right, you can play right away. But now with the two time transfers, and then of course don't even don't even forget about COVID years and grad yeah. transfers that are immediately yeah. eligible. It's just it's just all hell broke loose and everybody can play now. So <laughs> it, I I can only imagine. Uh, the hours that I'll be putting in come March and April, uh, the transport of this offseason. If we're basically operating under the assumption that anyone can play,
0: call our pal Pete Nako so he can give you some uh, some advice because his head is spinning right now. I've been like, <laughs> as of late, so yeah, you guys you guys need to trade notes because you could you could help him because you you did this way before he had to do it, but now now he's got it coming from all sides like. Every time somebody retires, it's just, boom, everything opens up again. So, for sure. yeah, it's it's a fun one. Joe, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the games this weekend.
3: Absolutely. Same to you, Andy.
0: Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. If you're in podcast form, we love you. We appreciate you. Do not forget to rate and review. Leave a thumbs up if you're on YouTube. And we're going to have... Another big week of shows next week because this isn't stopping anytime soon. You know, we figured Alabama has Nick Saban retire, hires a coach, things are just slow down. Oh, no, everything just blows up more. That's the world we're in right now. So do not be surprised if we have a lot more to talk about. And also, will we have a resolution to Harbaugh Watch 2024? Listen. That's one of those, even if it's not a day we have a show, don't worry. You'll hear the emergency show horns. They will They will be blaring. We're going to have a ton to talk about. I can't wait. We'll talk to you on Sunday.